0: Right. Uh Welcome to this new episode of Neural Information Retrieval Talks. My name is Sergi Castella. Uh, I work at Zeraf as a content creator. Yeah, I have with me my uh, usual co-host.
1: Andrew Yates. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Amsterdam.
0: Like I said last time, we have a forum for you uh, to um, to give us feedback and to just share what you'd like us to talk about next and, and all of this uh, stuff. So please uh, use that. It's in the, it's in the description. Um, that said, let's just jump right into it. Uh, today, we're bringing you this paper titled Evaluating Extrapolation Performance of Dense Retrieval um, by Jing Titao uh, Zan and colleagues from a bunch of institutions, actually. Um, Beijing uh, National Research Center for Information Science and Technology at the Jinghua University and a couple other institutions from, from China. That said, um, before we get into the gist of the paper and we, we start uh, diving a bit more into that, um, I'd like to reflect a bit on on the broader topic of evaluation information retrie- uh, in information retrieval. That's actually the first topic that we covered in this uh, podcast, which I think is super fascinating and we decided that we wanted to go back to that. Um, so... Before offline, you were talking to me about how you think that one of the kind of uh, topics that you're currently most interested uh, about in information retrieval, like the, the whole benchmarking and evaluation. Um, could you speak a little bit to that, why you think it's interesting, why why you're excited about that?
1: Yeah, so I think I'm particularly interested or excited about evaluation right now just because of how good neural models have become, right? It's hard to tell what is the right direction for making them better. And so we have to think about how we evaluate them. And just in IR in general, evaluation is a hard task. I think because the nature of IR, we don't, you know, necessarily know what we're looking for. There's no fixed classes that you need to be good at. Um, a system should be good at any query that it gets, not, Mm -hmm. you know, these 100 sentiments that exist or animals, you know, whatever. It's not really a classification task. Um, so I, I think this makes it hard and it makes it really challenging because even as people's behavior changes um, probably what exactly we evaluate change so for example 20 years ago I think people were always issuing keyword queries today we want to think about like natural language questions and natural language queries when we evaluate mm-hmm. so um, even if your information need is the same like over time you know what that information need looks like can change the sort of documents can change um, so it's, it's sort of something that always needs to be paid attention to I think due to this zero-shot property where we just have to handle anything. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, no, I mean, I guess I remember when we were talking, like the first time we talked about this uh, whole MS Marco and benchmarking, and I got introduced to some of these uh, concepts, um, I felt like very often you run into these sort of very basic um, issues of sort of subjectiveness of what is relevant, and, and like it seems like in the whole field of information, retrieval, it's kind of filled with uh, all of these kind of very hard questions to answer that depend on so many factors. It's not like a Classification on an image of like whether something is a cat or not—it's yeah. more like what is relevant to a hypothetical user, and like you said, like user modeling, behavior changes. Uh, there's so much, um, um, so much to it. That said, uh, in the current landscape of benchmarking information retrieval, what what do you think is the biggest shortcoming or something that, uh, in your opinion?
1: I think nope. it's just really hard to scale everything up. So like tr- the Trek style of benchmarking works really well where, you know, teams participate. They submit uh, some runs consisting of documents for each query. These are pooled and judged so you have some judgments. But it's hard to do this so that you have enough training data for a neural method. And so this is where things like MS Marco come in that are based on these shallow annotations. So mm-hmm. for each query, you know that a document is relevant rather than knowing that a set of documents is relevant and a set is non-relevant. You only know that one is relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, this creates difficulties in that this, the strategy works for creating enough training data, but it's much harder to understand, I think, what's in the data set. And you kind of see some of that with this paper where they find that queries in, for example, the development data set or which they use as test are similar to ones they trained on. And, and so you start to, it becomes harder to understand exactly what is in your data when you have enough data to train one of these models. Mm
0: Yeah no that that uh that makes sense. Um so I I have here before we um uh, go into the paper could you give us a bit of a um kind of overview of the last I don't know I would say 20 years or something like that how what have been important milestones of like data sets or benchmarks that kind of have defined the landscape in the uh, next year i mean you've already hinted a little bit at that with the uh, ms marco for instance or, or trek yeah um, so how has that evolved in the, in the
1: field so trek has been around for a long time it continues to be around and, and to be useful just maybe not as much for training data as evaluation data um so i for most of the past 20 years i think you know trek data has been the main thing to use both for training and evaluation. right Maybe you train or tune some simple parameters on you know the previous year 's data, and then on trek this year you know you you use that model to to submit um, But now, with the neural methods, we need more data, so this is where m s marco comes in and this is one of the i would say the first big milestone. So I believe this was released in its original form in two thousand and sixteen i don 't remember exactly when this became the ranking data set we know today um, within a year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but this was a big milestone because this provided just a huge number of queries um, and, and documents with relevance judgments for them in the shallow way, which gives you enough for to train a neural model. Mm-hmm. And then really the other, well, one thing I'll add is that um, then Trek performs some judgments on this MS Marco data so that we have dense judgments for some MS Marco queries. So starting in 2019, there were 45 or so roughly um, MS Marco test queries judged deeply by Trek. So this, I don't know if it's a milestone by itself, but it's quite important to have along with MS-Marco because now we have the, the sparse training data and some evaluation data that maybe we we can have a bit more confidence in, um, mm-hmm. which often does correlate with the MS-Marco data uh, we've seen. Um, and then the other milestone I would mention was this maybe beer benchmark. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, I think, advantages and disadvantages of it, but it's really nice to have a benchmark focused on generalization and, I think, Cross domain performance because this is something like I was saying that we expect from IR but it's not really evaluated if you you know train and test on the same data set with very similar queries, mm-hmm. which is kind of what this paper gets to
0: yeah absolutely i mean the, the this whole topic of like transferring domain relates very strongly to the idea of extrapolation information retrieval, and I do think like in in, a, in a even broader terms in machine learning there's a lot of interest in like i guess it's kind of. The gist of it is known that you know, like as long as you train with um, train and test with the, within the same domain or like within seeing the same data distribution or something like that, these models like you can perform really well. But how do you generalize and, and like these these um um these ideas? Yeah. Um. All right. Cool. Then let's just uh, jump into the this paper. So evaluating uh, extrapolation performance of dense retrieval. So um, what do the authors do in this uh, work?
1: Well, the authors make the observation that a lot of queries inside MS Marco are similar in in different ways. So for example, you could have a lot of queries about the same entity. Where was Bill Gates born? What is Bill Gates' net worth? So the information need is different. Bill Gates is in both. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can have queries that are actually really close to each other but maybe phrased differently. So like one example they give um, average wedding dress alteration cost. So this is kind of keyword flavor. And then another query, average cost for wedding dress alterations. So the term Terminology has not really even changed mm-hmm. it's just written more like natural language yeah. yeah 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 um so so they make the observation that these exist and then they want to understand how this affects results on this data set so like are methods becoming better at interpolating meaning are they better at um variations of queries they've seen during training so like if you take what is Bill Gates net worth and you replace Bill Gates with another celebrity you know is is this enough um so this is not so interesting because it's just you know, a minor change from what is maybe seen before or extrapolation, like a totally new query. So maybe an entity you've never seen before and maybe even asking about some aspect Mm -hmm. of the person you haven't seen before. Um, You know, where was their yacht built? You know, something like
0: that. Yeah, so actually you've already uh, hinted at that, but uh, throughout the whole work, like one of the basic terminology that is used is this interpolation versus extrapolation thing, um, which is kind of interesting because I feel like it's become almost a loaded uh, (laughs) term in in many corners of, of machine learning. Um, So, I mean, I think intuitively we can have a good understanding of of what those words uh, mean or should mean, but can you sort of give uh, what we're going to mean from now on um, when we say interpolation and extrapolation in this context of information retrieval?
1: Yeah, and I think this is really the only easy way to define it, like intuitively in our context. So like interpolation, it would be taking queries that you've seen during training and being able to handle some query that's a small variation on that. So like maybe the, only the entity is changed, but what you're asking about the entity is the same. So assuming mm-hmm. you can replace Bill Gates with another entity, you, you, you should be fine. Um, extrapolation means different from what was in the training. So this isn't really precisely defined, but you know, in, intuitively, if you have a question about biology, um, you know, uh, what does ATP do in a cell? Um, if this was never seen in the training data, nothing about ATP or cells, this is clearly extrapolation. Yeah. It's very different. Um, you could start to argue this is almost changing domains, and this is all very fuzzy, like where you draw the line between them. Um, mm-hmm. So intuitively, I think we can understand okay. this.
0: Yeah, no, I, and as you'll see, this differentiation, uh, even though it's a little bit fuzzy, and, and uh, then it, it does. Make a difference, and there's interesting results um, to come from that. As a as a short plug-in, I would like to highlight this. Um, last year, uh, uh, I mean, this discussion always pops up in in Twitter and and this stuff like that, like uh, you know, the symbolists and the connectionists and the you know yeah, all these yeah. all these um, discussions. Um, there was this paper uh, from the, from Yalekun and colleagues, uh, which is a, from this mathematical perspective on interpolation extrapolation, which kind of makes the case that. Um, Interpolation and extrapolation, the intuitive understanding we have of of those terms uh, really doesn 't translate well once you go to high dimensionality and like things start to uh, break down so that uh, so basically we should be careful with with you know how, how you use those those things especially when you 're having um, abstract or like more more kind of formal um, yeah more more kind of in the abstract uh, of intelligence and th- these kind of things and i would yeah. um, I would recommend that you check it out because it was kind of really interesting to have that intuition bent um,
1: um but it's not really relevant yeah, yeah. it's an here. interesting paper yeah. yeah yeah here I think the sense of interpolation extrapolation is different but i yeah. it's, it's really hard to define all of this yeah. precisely yeah, yeah. um, um yeah.
0: anyway let's move on um so I think that uh, it's very interesting oh it's, it's very useful that this paper is um quite grounded in the the three research questions um right so I think that we should start by just um reading them out loud and and uh kind of clarifying what they mean um so the re- the first research question that uh they explain i just have it in here is uh, how do dense retrieval models extrapolate when compared to interaction based deep neural ranking models and learned sparse retrieval models methods um yeah, what I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. Would yeah. you add anything to that? Like, why is that interesting? Um, um, just
1: maybe some background that these dense retrieval models perform worse across domains. Mm. So I think this is why you might be motivated to look at extrapolation, right? So this is in between interpolation and totally changing domains, right? Okay. It's the same document collection, probably same flavor of queries and their natural language kind of written in a similar way, you could say. But... You know, maybe the topics are different. And so I I guess they're, they have the idea of maybe we can start to see some difference between these dense retrieval methods and the others if we look at extrapolation rather than going all the way to switching the data set completely. Okay. Um, which I think is also interesting because dense methods have to do some kind of like lossy compression, you know, like to take a document and make a dense vector. Mm -hmm. So you could, make an argument in your head that maybe it's really hard to do this when you totally change data sets because the documents look so different. Maybe whatever is learned for yeah. you know, lossy compressing it, so to speak, breaks. So this is kind of interesting in that way and that all of the documents remain the same. Um,
0: no, that, that, that makes sense. And I think it relates. I think we can talk a little bit at the end about like what what intuitive uh, kind of thoughts you have about this or like how you make sense of the results in an int- from a more intuitive perspective yeah, but it also makes a lot of sense what you said about uh this research question is kind of not doesn't come out of the out of the blue and it's more of a if when you look at the results from the past couple of years um in these uh, beer benchmarks or like domain transfer benchmarks, it does seem like the dense retrieval breakdown more so so it, yeah. it's kind of um a good uh, Hypothesis or, or something that, that makes sense. Um, all right. Secondly, we have the second research question. How do different training strategies of dense retrieval models affect extrapolation performance?
1: Yeah. So I think we've talked about these a bit in past episodes. Well, for example, we looked at a pre-training strategy in, mm, in the spider yeah. paper. Yeah. So this pre-training can help. There we saw it starting to outperform BM25, I believe. Um, but other things that have helped a lot that I don't think we've talked about in as much detail are like hard negative mining, for example, where you find really difficult negative examples, things that would not be so obvious to a human. So this tends to help a lot with training. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is some distillation from a cross-encoder. Um, so, the cross encoders are more robust; they tend to be perform a bit better, so some distillation um looking at the cross encoder's score and trying to distill that with a, a dense retrieval mm-hmm. um more specifically, like the difference in scores between a query and positive document and query and negative document distilled between the two
0: No, that that's super interesting because indeed like um My takeaway, and it's something I've mentioned before, but maybe not gone in depth, is that uh, to make dance retrieval work, you need a lot of these tricks, uh, right? It's not like plug and play, it's more like you need to set up the kind of the intuitive uh, you know, contrastive learning objective or something like that, and then adding in, okay, like, and then you add hard negatives uh, or you do like distillation you of these things. And in the current benchmarking, it seems like that helps a lot. And it's a, a very salient question to ask, how does this translate once you um, have way more different... Um, uh, training and test uh, settings, like you're extrapolating instead of interpolating.
1: Yeah, yeah, so in definitely. And and the story is a bit different here than what I had already or would have understood from other literature on this topic because they split between interp- interpolation and extrapolation. But I guess we'll look at that later. But like it, it doesn't yeah. totally mirror, you know, what works well here versus mm, other
0: places. No, no, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, okay, and finally, the third research question is about this relationship that we've already hinted at between Interpolation, extrapolation, and uh, domain transfer. Like uh, their wording is: How does the interpolation, extrapolation performance reflect domain transferability? Uh, which is also pretty self-explanatory. Like how these things
1: correlate. Yeah, um, and I and I think it's pretty intuitive. They should be correlated in some way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Um, all right. I think that we can. I mean, uh, we can uh, go into the um, their analysis on on well defining a. Uh, Train-test uh, label overlap, which is I think uh, kind of important to understand what how what what they do in this uh, in this work, and then jump into the the results. Right. So um, they talk in the in section four. Uh, they're called train-test label overlap, uh, which is a bit like like Andrew has been saying um, how much the the training queries and the test queries uh, have similarities. And there's different ways in which you can have similarities. Uh, which is uh, what they explain here. So maybe you can um, guide us a little bit through,
1: through yeah. these concepts. So they look at two types of similarities here. Um, the first is entity overlap, which is basically whether the entities in two queries are totally the same, somewhat the same, or totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if you have Bill and Melinda Gates in the query in one query and only Bill Gates in another, well, this is partial overlap. Um, Maybe it's worth pointing out that the surface forms of these entities don't matter. So if you said William Gates in one and Bill Gates in another, they still count this as overlap because they're using human annotators. So uh, it's same. the actual entity. It's to yeah. the degree the annotator understands it, I guess, at least. Okay. Um, so. Oh, that, ch- yeah. How yeah,
0: oh much? Sense, do you think that makes from the perspective of like the um, the model uh, because th- th- like the encoding of these tokens is not the same actually, right? Yeah, so. no,
1: that's a good question. Um, I, I don't have any data to back this up, but I would guess that there are really common surface forms that generally appear. So it probably doesn't come up often that you see a query that says you know William Gates the third rather than Bill Gates or you know or whatever his full name is. It, yeah. it's, but that's just my intuition from where MS-Marco comes from. Okay. Um, w- other ones, like you can think of USA versus like United States, for example. Uh, the models, both of these are probably common enough that the model can yeah, handle we'll them learn similarly. To, yeah,
0: yeah, ideally. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, so there's this entity overlap. And then there is uh, intent similarity, um, which I would have liked to see a bit more explanation of. Um all we really know is that the queries are judged for whether their intents are similar but I there's not um a lot of explanation about what kind of query intent so for example at a really high level you could say a query intent is like uh, navigational you're looking for something informational information on something transactional you're trying to buy a product or something so like clearly they they're annotating it at a more precise level than this because i think essentially all these queries would be informational mm-hmm, okay. um but I, I don't know you know where in, in this possible very yeah, in possible like the hierarchy. Kind of abstraction
0: layer of uh, in in uh, level of intent um... yeah
1: it would be nice to see like annotator um, instructions for this for example um, mm. maybe they'll, they'll release them later um, yeah. but but these are the two ways they look at similarity between queries and then they have this method for finding possibly similar queries which they're going to leverage later um, in the, the future experiments also um, basically they, they take a query from the test set and then they retrieve other queries using either BM25 so exact match based or an mm-hmm. embedding model so this is um, I believe it's a door so it's one of these yeah. trained with hard negatives mining yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, iteratively. I mean to uh, give you more, more context my understanding here is uh the question you're trying to answer that annotator is trying to answer is like for each one of the um queries in the test set is there any uh, query in the training set that is uh like that way, obviously, you're not gonna go through like the millions of queries manually. So you just generate a set of candidates and hope that you know that they're gonna have, uh, um, that you're gonna have perfect recall, I guess, on on that on like potentially similar queries.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think they take the ten most similar from BM twenty five and the ten most similar from their dense method. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then they'll reuse these later when they look at interpolation versus extrapolation. So these these similar queries. Will become a proxy for interpolation later, mm-hmm. um, but right. but for now they do human judgments on these. So for every test query, human judge twenty in terms of entity or intent similarity.
0: All right, and to give a sense of how how much uh, how much overlap there is between test and training set in existing track uh, um, uh, queries. Can we uh, can we just uh, summarize table um, one and two? Yep. Uh, um, so though?
1: table one is about entity overlap. So if we look at full overlap, meaning the entities are exactly the same, uh, it's something like 63% um, in 2019, TREC, uh, 54% in 2020, 45% within MS Marcos dev set itself. Um, partial overlap is... Say thirty percent for 2019. I think looking at one of these is enough. So mm-hmm. basically, if we think about 2019, only seven percent of queries have no entity overlap at all. Sixty-three um, percent exactly the same, and thirty percent have partial. So it's quite a bit of overlap. Um,
0: yeah. So you would say, like uh, intuitively, there's testing on track is is pretty much testing on interpolation, um, according to how they. Uh, it's mostly. It's like ninety. Yeah. Um, if if entity
1: overlap indicates interpolation, yes. Okay. I, I think. It, it, <laughs> it, it, I mean, yeah. it, it's really hard to be precise because you could have different questions about yeah. the same no, entity. No, you lose so
0: much nuance once you categorize yeah. things into these uh, categories. But still, it's it's uh, yeah. it's useful to get a sense of of how. These things look. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So for some proxy, there's a lot of shared entities between mm-hmm. the the training and test. And then we see something similar with the intent similarity, although again, it's hard for me to interpret these because I'm not entirely sure what is being yeah, annotated here. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at 2019 again, uh, 51% are um, duplicate, um, 28% are similar. So only 21% are not similar at all. Um, yeah. Similar. So, duplicate means exactly the same intent. Maybe they mean something like this: natural language versus keyword thing. I, I, I don't know if. Yeah, like it, we get net worth. Level. Or like,
0: what is the net worth of?
1: Videos? Yeah, wedding dress alterations or cost of altering wedding dress. I think is okay. some example they have in the table. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so, so even the duplicate part is really high, right? Like fifty-one percent.
0: Um, okay. I guess. I mean at the end of the day, like, ideal we intuitively understand what what they want to capture with these uh sort of definitions of overlap uh i think i agree with you that it's probably loses a lot of the nuance or you lose a lot of uh, um of that intuitive understanding of what makes two, two queries the same but uh, but still it's a good it's a good uh, first step um shall we move on to the the resampling evaluation methods Yeah, Uh, Or do you have anything uh, else uh, we
1: should say before that? No, I think we can move to that. Um, So I guess we should explain how this resampling is working. Exactly. Uh, They have two strategies, basically. So their goal here is to take some data set and to separate it into interpolation and extrapolation parts. Mm -hmm. So to do this, they build on that query similarity um, that we just discussed, where they find the most similar queries with BM25 or ADOR. Um So they have two strategies, like I said, for doing this. One is basically aimed at a small test set, and the other is aimed at a large test set. Basically, if your test set is small enough, like these track deep learning, these are around 50 queries, a bit less, um, you can just exclude everything similar to a test query from your training set. right? So they have those 50-ish deep learning queries, you find the top end for each, I think in here is 10 or 20, and you throw those queries away from your training.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's fairly straightforward. Yeah. Um the other is based on the situation mm. where you have too many test queries to do that. Uh so for example, MS Marco yeah, yeah. dev is 6800, so you'd be throwing they away pretty a much a lot. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's not going to fly. Yeah. Um, so they instead try to cluster the queries. Yeah. So so they they cl- come up with different clusters, basically analogous to folds, right? Default? So they To to folds, so they have one cluster. Within that cluster, there's some train queries and there's some test queries. Mm -hmm. And so, say you have five clusters. Well, Mm -hmm. you'll train on four of those, and then you'll report extrapolation results on the fifth. Mm -hmm. That fifth cluster has some training data and it has some test data, but you're leaving the training data out because it's similar to the test data in it. Okay. Um. So it's kind of like constructing these.
0: It's a bit like doing a. like splitting a, a data set into uh parts and doing cross validation, but you instead of doing it randomly you you cluster them by top or by similarity query similarity
1: yeah exactly it, that's yeah it's just like a, some sort of five fold cross validation okay approach. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, uh, I think that that's uh, yeah pretty straightforward right Yeah, yeah, yeah. um then uh, we can just jump into the into the results.
1: Yeah, so they, um, vary a few things as they report results. So they mm-hmm. vary the training data size, um, either 14,000, 45,000, or 200,000. 200,000 is like a normal or full amount of training data, I guess. Okay. Um, so they also look at s- smaller amounts on MS Marco. Uh, as you'd expect, more training data is better across methods. So I think we can look at the, the largest training data size where they're using all 200,000. Okay. Um,
0: I think it's useful, though, before we uh, jump into the numbers, so we're talking normally in the abstract of like dense retrieval versus interaction-based or cross-encoder. I don't know what's the best term for for that, but like interaction-based or dense retrieval methods. Um, So which actual implementations do they use or like what actual models um, and why... um, yeah. Using those.
1: So they, they use a cross encoder, um, which is an interaction based method, which they, is also a re-ranker because it's too expensive to, to rank everything in the data set. You find some candidates with BM25, re-rank them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're using this with, uh, BERT. All of these models, I believe, on are based on BERT base, they say. Um, yeah. Although the original splayed is on, dis- Yeah, they're on a BERT variant. Um, So this is using the CLS token to classify a query document pair. Um, This performs the best. They have Colbert, um, which is... You could say it's dense at the term level. It's not entirely clear, I guess, how to categorize it. But this is storing a representation of each term rather than a representation of the entire document. Mm-hmm. So the storage space scales with the document size. Yeah. This tends to be very robust compared to dense inter- methods as you move across domains and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, Colbert... Uh- Actually, I think we're probably going to cover it in the future episode we're getting it yeah this ahead could of, be a good paper. But the cover is one of the most famous right now uh, kind of neural i inf- r methods right they're like more robust or kind of like yeah old you,
1: standard. you could say it's maybe the go to method mm-hmm. so I mean compared to a cross encoder it's not quite as effective often, but it's more efficient mm-hmm. um it's more effective than dense retrieval approaches, but less efficient it, it, it's a pretty good middle ground i think uh right now um and there's also splayed, which is a learned sparse retrieval, meaning basically they learn new term weights to put an inverted index. So they're essentially replacing term frequency with like a measure of term salience or term importance to a document. Um, which is learned. Yeah. Yeah. Which is exactly these weights are learned for from training. And so what this gives you is, um, a vector of vocab size over the query and over the document, mm-hmm. uh, where most, I guess, um, elements in that vector are zero. And then, of course, there's a dense retrieval model, um, which is the one they're training. Um, this is BERT-BASE. I believe here they're not training it with hard negatives or distillation or anything like that, just a, a standard dense retrieval. Um, like in-batch negatives? Uh, or uh, That's a good question, actually. Um, 1,024 random negatives per mini-batch, they say, and across entropy loss. So it's, it's only in-batch, and they say they don't uh, include the BM 25 negatives.
0: Okay, yeah, so that, then it's just...
1: Yeah, I mean, like, like
0: we said before, um, it's kind of um, it's kind of a shame that that uh, dense retrieval seems to be so sensitive to uh, all of these kind of choices, as in, like, for instance, when you use in-batch negatives, increasing the batch size uh, seems to be extremely relevant yeah. right, for performance. So, like, some of these um, things are hard to investigate because of um, how much variation there is.
1: Yeah, there's a, train a lot of tricks required. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. Anyway, but I think that, that covers yep. the the you know the basics of of the models that they're used uh, here. Yeah. All right. So, table six, uh, interpolation and extrapolation results?
1: Yep. Um, so basically what we see is models get worse at extrapolation as you move closer to dent retrieval. I guess is how I would characterize it. So they, they split the queries like we described. Um, they report interpolation and extrapolation. So, for example, if we look at the cross-encoder, there's almost no difference between the interpolation and extrapolation numbers, like 709 versus 705. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are even different queries, so I, I wouldn't even expect there to be no difference at all... The, you know they're they're just different queries. They have different difficulties and properties, so, mm. so they're really close here. Um, this becomes a bit bigger when you move to Colbert, but not much bigger. So, for example, they say there's a one percent difference with the reranker, a two percent difference with Colbert. So, not much different. This correlates with the observations that Colbert is good for good at moving between domains. Uh huh. Um, with splayed, the difference gets a bit bigger. It jumps to 5%. Um, so this is somewhere in the middle. And then dense retrieval goes to 11%. So there's a much larger difference between interpolation and extrapolation performance with the dense retrieval method um, than with any of the others. So even comparing it to splaid the difference is from 5% to 11%. Uh, comparing to re-ranker, the difference is between 1% for the re-ranker and 11 for a dense retrieval. So... Fairly large in comparison.
0: Um, yeah, and these findings pretty much uh, translate across uh, data like um, um, across sizes. Of yeah,
1: the, yeah. So they, they also look at the smaller sizes. These trends remain the same. Splayed seems to have a bit more trouble with the smaller sizes, but the trend of rebanker and Colbert being much better um, than the Dent retrieval holds across all of them.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess something that is also surprising is the bit of a difference between the Recall at 100 and NDCG at 10 uh, metrics. Yeah. Um, What would you make of that uh, in the sense that, for instance, between Colbert and Splayed? It seems to me like the the trend is very clear uh, when you look at NDCG, but when you look at Recall at 100, they have some...
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. So the ones I was naming were NDCG. So mm-hmm. what stays consistent with Recall at 100 is that the cross-encoder is the best, and cross-encoder has a little difference between interpolation and extrapolation. Um, for Recall, it's always less than 1% here. Yeah, um, But yeah, like you said, the other methods do become more close. So maybe looking at 200,000 data... Um, Three percent difference for Colbert, five for Splayed, nine for Dense Retrieval. So you see some trends, but they're closer together. Yeah. Um, looking at the smallest amount of data, there's actually all are plus or minus seven percent. So there's a little yeah. difference there, but this is a very small amount of data.
0: Yeah, I know. And I was just thinking because I mean, of course, NDCG and Recall it ten have a uh, hundred have a such a different sort of bias in yeah. in how in kind of what is good as in right in NDCG getting the the top first right is kind of counts a lot but for recall at 100 uh, it's not really that important yeah yeah but um yeah anyway i do think that the like the the gist of the gist of what, what like the takeaway from from these results is is pretty clear yet like you have said um that said in the uh, what do they um show in the uh, table seven in the
1: yeah so table six was on the uh, trek deep learning um, Table seven is the same thing, but on m s marco dev set, and here they switch sampling methods because the dev set is so large, so they switch to this clustering like cross fold validation mm-hmm. type of approach um, so we see similar trends here um, there 's a bigger difference between interpolation and extrapolation for the ranker, so this is now six percent rather than you know one percent. Um, but as far as trends, it, they more or less hold. So Colbert is the, the next best. Um, dense retrieval is the worst or quite close displayed in terms of, of the biggest difference between interpolation and extrapolation. Yeah. Um, so I guess this supports the previous results on another data set and with their other sampling yeah, I mean strategy. This,
0: yeah. And, and like they point out, this pretty much, um, uh, support or well answers their first research question, which um, was how do dense retrieval models extrapolate compared to interaction um, neural ranking models, uh, and learns sparse retrieval models. And the answer to that question is they do worse. It seems. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of uh, how confident you are in that finding, uh, what would you say? As in, uh, you know, we've said okay, dense retrieval is kind of a, uh, requires a lot of you know babysitting or like kind of nice doing it very nicely um how confident you are that these results are kind of really answering this question properly and not are not an artifact of how the optimization is done
1: yeah so to speak um combining them with other results so like other results on the beer leaderboard and things like this looking at generalization to other domains, which is taking extrapolation further, I would be quite confident in these because they're really consistent with what we see there, where cross encoders are just much better at, at that cross-domain setting um, than, for example, the single-vector dense retrieval. Um, but if I were to look at only these in isolation, I would maybe wonder a bit about whether these other tricks could matter much, right? Mm-hmm. So do hard negatives somehow improve extrapolation? Does distillation from a cross encoder somehow ad- address this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe the, the situation could change a lot with those. But because of the other results on these beer data sets, you know, with tricks like this used, I, I know that doesn't solve the problem. So putting all this together, I would say I'm, I'm pretty confident.
0: Um, all right.
1: No well, I think that that's here. a very
0: uh, good, nice, nicely packaged takeaway.
1: Yeah, and, and actually they look at this to a degree in one of mm-hmm. the next tables, right? Yeah, so they exactly. Look at, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so I think negatives. that's a
0: very good uh, transition to the next uh, section of the results, which is precisely comparing... Um, dense retrieval training uh, methods, right? Like we've said, dense retrieval is sensitive to uh, how you train them, and like uh, all of these. So that's what they pretty much what they look at. Um, uh, table eight. So, um, what do we see here?
1: Yeah. So they have three things they try here. Um, one is replacing random negatives with hard negatives. Another is replacing the normal training objective with distillation from a cross-encoder. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, I think, with margin MSE, trying to uh, mimic the cross-encoder's score difference between the positive and negative document, um, I believe. And then replacing the, the checkpoint. So rather than standard pre-trained BERT, um, can, doing some sort of additional IR-specific pre-training and then starting from there, rather than from the, the original you know, BERT checkpoint. So they, they try each of these three in isolation. Um, If we were to think about prior work that exists, we would expect to see the biggest improvement, I think, from the hard negative mining. I think the second biggest from distillation. Um, And then maybe pre-training comes in third. That's at least my intuition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't argue with (laughs) this. Uh, But what we see here is the opposite. So the only thing that really makes a difference is this pre-training. so talking again about percentage difference between interpolation and extrapolation, uh, we started at 14% difference um, looking at trek deep learning. If we do the hard negative approach or the distillation approach, this uh, 14% only comes down to 12 or 13. Mm. So very little impact. Whereas if you instead change the pre-training task to co-condensers pre-training um, on MS Marco, so also on uh, this target document collection, um that drops from 14 to 6%. So this yeah. is, you know, cut in half, whereas the others had little impact.
0: that's um, no, really fascinating, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, there's like caveats, right? So maybe the if you combine all of these yeah, they could no, help. I don't know. I, it, it's, yeah. No,
0: but I mean from an intuitive uh perspective, um hard negatives. W- does it make sense that hard negatives um don't help or help very little with extrapolation, but do help so much with um, interpolation?
1: Uh, like yeah, what? it's hard to say. Um, hard negatives, if you want to make a hand-wavy argument, I guess you could think about maybe they're focused on interpolation because you could be replacing just one or two terms so this I would view as interpolating, between yeah. a, you know, only a small replacement and showing that this became negative, right? So you swap that entity out and now it's negative. Yeah. Um. But it, it's really hand wave. Yeah, yeah I, totally, totally. I mean, I I
0: guess what I was thinking about a little bit in those sense, like when you think of hard negatives is you're kind of like giving a model examples of things that are very close and which one is kind of good and which one is bad. And I, I would kind of assume that that kind of is a learning signal for this more fine-grained interpolation um, kind of type of differences. But um, yeah. but yeah,
1: it's also not, not very... Well, so actually one hard negative approach by Sebastian Hofstetter works by clustering queries and then hard negatives come from the same cluster. So I think here, if you think about them as clustering, you can kind of see the relationships interpolation because in the cluster, maybe you swap out one or two terms or something and most of it's the same.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, no, totally. But there's, yeah. you know, of course, a lot of ways to mine...
0: Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, I guess that the main important takeaway is what you just said—that uh, these techniques, uh, these advanced techniques for deep uh, for dense retrieval, don't help, uh, or like pretty much results are consistent even when you
1: start using all of those. Things. Yeah, yeah. The, it's unlike prior work; these don't seem to matter so much when you look at interpolation versus extrapolation mm-hmm. um with this distillation so this is distilling from a cross encoder we know a cross encoder is better at extrapolation yeah. so maybe <laughs> distilling from that should help but yeah, no yeah. not not what we see here
0: mm, okay uh that said is there anything else yeah so um this pretty much answers their, their research question number two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which, uh, just to recall, this was, uh, how do different training strategies uh, for dense virtual models affect the extrapolation performance? Um, and yeah, so the answer to this question is the only one that substantially or like most meaningfully affects is the uh, pre training objective and not so much the fine tuning. Right. Um, however, you said that you had some kind of doubts about, well, not doubts, but kind of you would like a bit of further investigation on this because this was done on a training uh, set that is not too large or like.
1: Yeah, it was so, done on their middle set mm-hmm. training size. Um, it would be nice to see it on, you know, the larger training set. So the numbers are closer to the maximum reported. Um, but I, I wouldn't be that surprised if trends still hold somewhat. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just speculating.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Uh. But is there
0: any, like, uh, any, any, uh, reason why you would have a suspicion it wouldn't hold? As in like, um, any suspicion that when you go from like low data to high data regime, these augmentations or these techniques change a lot? How um, um, like their effect changes a lot?
1: I mean, maybe for example, the importance of hard negatives starts coming into play when you have a lot of training samples. I don't know if forty-five thousand counts as a lot here, yeah. but two hundred thousand is obviously more, right? Maybe you know, finding challenging negatives has a bigger impact as you have more training data. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't really know. Okay. Um,
0: no, but that, I, I mean, doesn't seem to invalidate um, yeah, yeah. the kind of general gist. Of...
1: No, I mean, this is, it's quite interesting that it's different than the story we would tell from prior work. Like something is going on, it seems.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, all right. And that brings us, I think, to the last uh Bit of their results section, uh, which looks at the research question number three, which is about how interpolation and extrapolation relates to domain transfer. Like, yeah. those things very much related or not? Um, so, how do they how do they look at that?
1: Yeah. So, what they do um, is they take these eight models that they've been using in, in prior experiments, um, along with the three sizes of training sets. And then they kind of rank how they compare on BEER, so on these um, uh, other data sets, and how they perform um, for interpolation and extrapolation.
0: Yeah, so maybe we can just have a like a quick mention of what beer uh, is yeah, as so a benchmark.
1: Yeah, I, we may not have talked about this. Act- yeah, so beer is a collection of benchmarks. They're all a bit different. Um, you have things like biomedical retrieval. You have things that are farther from normal ad hoc retrieval, like um, re- returning arguments or counter arguments. Counter arguments, particularly, is a bit weird because you have an argument as a query and you should find counter arguments oh, to that. Okay. It's really different mm-hmm. than a normal retrieval task. Yeah. But it, it's a bunch of data sets. Like this, um, very roughly around I think twelve fifteen, um, and the idea is to not train on them. So to train on something like MS Marco and evaluate how well you perform on these data sets, uh, most if not all don't have sufficient data for really training a dense retrieval model anyway.
0: So, so the the kind of like uh, um, goal of these benchmark was to focus on the general like generalization of of uh, retrieval models and to evaluate that.
1: Yeah, I- exactly. So the goal of this is to to have a conversation about how well these models generalize to new domains and, mm-hmm. and new query types. Um, the point being that you know what does well in Marco doesn't necessarily do well here. Um, so this is why they so so they have these data sets and then they use this to compare how well um methods do on these data sets, which is out of domain, with how well they do on interpolation versus extrapolation. Right. So is it, if you can pick a model that interpolates well or you can pick a model that extrapolates well, which one would you pick to report results on Mm -hmm. one of these is one Mm -hmm. way to put it. Um, and I I think the intuitive conclusion which they support is you would pick extrapolation because moving to another domain you could think of as a more extreme form of extrapolation, right? It's, It's just extrapolating more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, And and they quantify this by looking at correlations. So for those eight model settings three training sizes, they basically rank them and they look at the ranking on a beer data set versus interpolation performance versus extrapolation. And the extrapolation performance is much better correlated um, with how they perform on almost all of these data sets.
0: Yeah, so we're basically looking at figure two, um, where we have this uh, sort of scatter plot, right? Yeah. For the interpolation versus extrapolation, um, results and you can see that the extrapolation results sort of more or less align in a nicer, well, closer to a to a kind of line or a kind of monotonically increasing, yeah, of function. Right?
1: Yeah, there's, there's more correlation between the I mean, uh, the two, the per- extrapolation performance and data set.
0: This seems pretty intuitive. Like like you've said, it, it seems like. Domain transfer is, is pretty much on the same spectrum of extrapolation, just kind of more extreme case um, of that. Um, do you think these kind of, in a way, there's uh, as in like could could these um, techniques for measuring extrapolation uh, replace data benchmarks or, or data uh, benchmarks like like beer or they're like they're kind of what they're measures is still Different enough
1: that, um... I think um, I think they measure something different and they 're really complementary. They have a lot of different trade offs so if you look at like extrapolation, you can 't change the documents, for example right you 're only changing queries at the end of the day, um, which is really nice, in that you 've eliminated this source of difference but mm-hmm. you know there would be reasons also to change the documents right if you actually do want to know in a cross domain setting how things will work. Um, so I, I see it as complementary. It's kind of i to me, it's identifying a point on the spectrum that we may have missed where we we think about in um in data set evaluation and then we think about transfer. um but I think it's a really nice point to think about what's in the data set and split it into the interpolation and extrapolation, yeah um, when we have a data set this large. Um, yeah, so I, I see it as something more complementary and, but maybe something that's a bit easier to do. They, they, they argue this somewhat in the paper because you're just slicing and dicing the queries and judgments you already have. You don't need to create something new. So, you know, you can think about a lot of different types of extrapolation and you could evaluate them in different ways. So yeah. like they have the entity overlap here. Um.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I guess it's something that's also interesting about this method they propose is that I can see how it could be somewhat extended to to some kind of automatic um, setup where you, you know, find, uh, you know, look at similar queries from the test set and then you do this slicing and dicing, but in some automated clustering way where you can kind of dial the extrapolation interpolation kind of dials a little bit and and see how, how this thing kind of evolves to, like, more extreme cases um, versus more um, kind of mild cases of extrapolation, yeah.
1: and and even different types. Like, is the relation what you extrapolate, or is the entity, or you know, what changes yeah. between? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, okay, I think that that covers pretty much the the results of this this paper. I think it's pretty simple, and the the, the takeaways are pretty neat. So the, re- the the answer to the third research question is. Uh, it's pretty much how well the research question was. How does interpolation, extrapolation, performance reflect domain transferability? And the answer is it kind of
1: does. Yeah, and extrapolation <laughs> um, is much more yeah. correlated with it. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, exactly. Extrapolation is more correlated with uh, domain transferability. It's still not one to one completely. So there's still a lot of insights that that are different that you might take from uh, from these two benchmarking options. But um, but yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. Um, That said, in terms of a more broad stroke conclusions, what what in this paper, I don't know, is there a big thing that changed, a big perspective that um, changed for you in this, uh, after reading this paper? Um, Yeah, what surprised you or... What what are also like weaknesses or like things that could be done to kind of make this paper more useful than it is now?
1: Yeah, um, so I think this identification of extrapolation performance is something we should study. Was a a nice insight. Um, I think that. I would expect others to pick up on this and mm. you know to look at it in different ways, especially because you can only do it approximately, right? They, this is based on query query similarity, so even this part it could be improved. There's
0: yeah, yeah yeah yeah, like you said, a lot of things are ill defined or
1: yeah hard to um, yeah, it, it's just a difficult topic. But the most surprising thing to me, I think, would be these dense retrieval results. So the fact that pre training has such a different impact, um, I would be very curious. I mean, to look at these with larger data sizes to try to compare them, like if we do the best possible thing, um, Mm -hmm. some good pre-training, some hard negative mining, I guess distillation also, um, do we still see a big benefit from pre-training when we look at interpolation versus extrapolation? And do we see the same um, benefit if we, if we just look at the data set without considering, you know, these separate dimensions is, is not clear to me. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've seen in pre-training work, it, I, I see, it seems looking at these results that there is a big benefit for extrapolation that I just hadn't seen when looking at some of these original papers. It seemed to me that the improvement from their pre-training was smaller.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Than what yeah, we yeah. See here. That, that's, uh, that's a very good point. Because that seems to be a very robust finding that, that pre-training doesn't matter all that much. It's more about the hard negatives, the um, you know um, distillation, the batch sizes or stuff like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it seems like there it's possible to do pre-training in a way that will improve, but you would always pick hard negative mining or distillation mm-hmm. first from from the results I've seen. And the story is totally different here. You should yeah. start with pre-training according to this. Um so that's very interesting, and I, I think that's the most surprising result. Other than that, it's a nice confirmation of how this all relates to domain transfer, I think, and it's a nice way to think about things. It gives us a way to separate, like I was saying, like the document collection from other factors, mm-hmm. right? So just freeze the document collection, but try to split the queries up and look at them in different ways in relation to how similar they were to the, the training data. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I think that... Uh this uh, also goes in this trend of something we had talked about, which is to stop only looking at the um, at the aggregated results from benchmarks and start to trying to like opening the the black box that benchmarking is and like s- like playing with that and see what comes out right uh, because like the often like two models might perform very different qualitatively, but at the aggregation level. Have the same NDCG at ten, yeah, and that's very interesting uh, from a research perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're. I mean, it's almost necessary from a research perspective because we're getting so good at some of these benchmarks <laughs> that it's hard to know what to do unless you find <laughs> another way to look at the benchmark, or I, I guess replace the benchmark, but that's yeah. not so easy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it's nice to have you know rather than making the main average MS Marco number go up to be able to look at extrapolation and try to understand what can improve that specifically. There's, mm-hmm. It's probably. Um, more room to improve there than just looking at the average.
0: So, in terms of, um, you've mentioned that, like few minutes um, ago, in terms of the intuitiveness of this, you've said you might not. I think the wording was like you. This seems intuitive in hindsight, but you might not have um, uh, predicted these results if you if you were asked uh, the question. Um, so how would you make sense, like how do you, yeah, make sense from this intuitive perspective, the fact that the dense retrieval performs much worse than sparse methods at extrapolation?
1: Right. Um, well, so if we compare it to splayed, which... Actually, in this paper, they call it dense in some way. It's very confusing because the vectors are a vocabulary size. But if you think about a vector of vocabulary size, there's nothing really lost here, right? You know exactly what term appears. You can get the weighting wrong for a term, but mm-hmm. you you know what's there. Yeah. Um. With these smaller dense vectors, so there's 768 dimensions here and dense, whereas the vocabulary size vectors are sparse. Most of them are zeros. Here, they're essentially all non-zero. Um there has to be some sort of... You could think of it as lossy compression. There has to be some translation of what terms occur to this dense vector. It, you can say it has some semantic meaning, I guess, but at the end of the day, you need some kind of translation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe like swim and swimming are translated similar into that vector, right? Similar concepts, but you, you need some translation. Um, and this translation step should appear, I think, in extrapolation more than it does interpolation because you now are taking terms that you have seen less during training and trying to put them in that semantic space, so the 768 dim encoding. And this should occur even more, I think, when you're moving to a cross-domain because you're potentially changing a lot more about what terminology can even appear and, and so on. Um, so I, I hadn't thought of dense retrieval as being related um to To extrapolation to have what queries you've seen before, but in hindsight to me there's a, it seems like a clear relation because if you're doing interpolation, if you're handling a query that's similar to what you've seen before, you probably can successfully encode that into the the seven hundred sixty eight dimension vector. You can put it in the right place in mm-hmm. your, your semantic space it, It's easier too because you've seen a lot of similar things okay um, and this this step is not, is what's difficult for Single vector dense retrieval, which have to do this encoding, and it doesn't seem as difficult for like Colbert or the the re-ranker. And we see this also with extrapolation, right? So it's not just that moving domains is what's difficult; it's probably tied to the the difficulty of this translation task or mm. compression, you can call it. Yeah. And it, it highlights like a middle ground where we can see this difficulty where we couldn't earlier see it on MS Marco, right before. Maybe Colbert is a bit better on MS Marco, but dense retrieval methods seem to work well. Colbert seems to work well. You move to beer, dense retrieval totally fails. Colbert stills mm. kind of working reasonably.
0: And I think it is a very interesting finding. If these um, these can replicate across even bigger dimensionalities and even even uh, bigger uh, training data sets, and like uh, you know, the hard negatives, the uh, large batch sizes, as in. If this extrapolation, interpolation difference remains as you scale things up, it might be a kind of a big barrier to cross for for dense in this uh, in this sense, which is um, relevant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, there's not that that much more. Like, um, how another thing that you could reflect a little bit on is how much do you think this will have an impact on the on shifting the benchmarking or evaluation culture or like you know like do you see people doing applying this trick or method uh in future works a lot or is it just something that
1: yeah i i hope so i don't think it will become the most common way to look at things Uh, like for ms marco probably reporting the average will be the most common but i hope to see it used more in, in other papers and i i hope that Papers investigating pre-training look at it specifically mm-hmm. because it, it seems. I mean, we see improvements in this paper, but just thinking about this mapping to the the, the semantic space, it, it seems really related, right? If you're pre-training on those documents, you probably can have a better mapping, um, which you see in the results here that it, it does improve. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, like you said at the beginning, benchmark is so fundamental to like the progress and and in research and like finding a new way to measure something you know, uh, uncovers phenomena that you were blind to before. Like it might be this, and this is uh, kind of exciting because it might open new avenues of
1: yeah, insights. E- exactly. It's a great way to put it. I think it makes room to improve in different ways. That you might not have known were, were you know, ways that you could look at before. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So is there anything else you want you would like to uh, highlight before we close it off?
1: Uh, no, I think that's about it. Um, yeah, no, a nice paper. Um, yeah? I would like to see, yeah, I, I, I would really like to see more mention of exactly what intent means here. <laughs> but other see, than yeah. that, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, maybe they ran out of space.
0: <laughs> no, but that's, uh, no, that's a very valid, I think, critique. Because it, I always said it, it does make some intuitive sense, but then uh, at a more concrete level this annotation process is a bit more obscure.
1: Yeah, I, I almost think they're talking about whether the information needs are the same, but I, I, there's yeah, no way to say, know for sure. Yeah.
0: Um, Alright, so that was it. Um, yeah, I also really like to enjoy this paper, really recommend checking it out. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for joining us and I will see
1: you in the in the next episode.